With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is ContactTalkRadio.com. Consciousness in action. And you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on TuneIn.com, Hing.fm, and Upsnap Mobile. Contact Talk Radio. Conscious Shift with Julianne Turner brings insights from leading voices and visionaries across the globe to guide and inspire you to create your own conscious shift into your true power and singular greatness. Through her expertise, author, speaker, and social innovator, Julianne Turner, a world authority on the creative process, guides you to discover how to consciously create the life, work, and world you most desire. And now, here's your Conscious Shift host, Julianne Turner. Welcome, everyone. This is Julianne Turner. We are so glad, as always, that you are joining us for Conscious Shift. And I just want to take a moment to let you know how joyful I am to hear from all of you across the globe and to, sh- to share in your stories and your celebrations of the conscious shifts you are making in your lives, in your work, and for our world. And I just want to let you know that I've been listening as well to all of you conscious shifters and have created something special for you, a gift that is now available for you for free. That's what gifts are <laughs> at ConsciousShiftShow.com. ConsciousShiftShow.com. If you go there right now, you will receive a free Conscious Shift Genius Guide with Seth Godin. Uh, it's drawn from my interview with Seth. Uh, he is, as many of you know, most of you know, one of the leading business gurus in the world. And he actually is talking in this action guide and in the audio that's free for you there. In this genius guide, he is talking about how to discover your own genius. And this genius guide is, I've crafted it to be filled with nuggets of gold and clear action sh- steps for you to shift your prosperity and to inspire you to your highest potential. So I hope you go to ContestShiftShow.com and pick up your gift right now. We'll be sharing more special brilliance and bonuses on today's show. So stay tuned. And I wonder if this has ever happened to you. I think we've all done this, right? We're supposed to be focusing on our work day working away, and suddenly we find ourselves, we realize that our minds are actually off somewhere else, distracted by tonight's meal or our laundry laundry list of to-dos, and we realize, oh my gosh, we're, we're really not being present or very productive in our work. Anyone else ever experienced that? (laughs) I'm sure there are some hands going up out there and my hand is going up. Well, what if the answer to boosting our productivity was actually not 
to double down on our workload or to spend even more time in the office, but actually to bring more mindfulness into our workplace. What a concept, right? Well, it's a concept that our Conscious Shift guest today, David Gellis, the author of a new book called Mindful Work, David is going to share some new research with us from that work, from that book. And this research comes from CEOs to scientists to students that shows that mindfulness, yes, meditation (laughs) and similar practices is actually boosting productivity and focus in workplaces across the country. And it can boost your performance at work and improve your life at home as well. And it's with that thought in mind that we welcome David Gellis to Conscious Shift. David, welcome. Thanks so much for having me. And David, you know, this book is amazing, Mindful Work, How Meditation is Changing Business from the Inside Out. And I know that you are a, you know, a business reporter for the New York Times and before that for the Financial Times, very prestigious uh, publications. And you've got to always be on deadline. It's kind of a stressful job, right? So is that what got you started down the path of meditation or was it something else? Well, that's not what got me started down the path, but I guarantee you, if I hadn't had found meditation earlier in my life, I would most welcome it at this juncture in my career. Because you're absolutely right. This morning, and I'm not exaggerating here, I woke up at 5.30 a.m. There was an email from my editor. And within three minutes, I was at my computer writing. That's the pace of my job. But it's not so dissimilar to so many of our jobs. So many of us are working so hard, 24 hours a day. And it's only thanks to my mindfulness practice, frankly, that I feel like I'm able to cope with these incessant demands of the workload. And and David, you know, when you're in the midst of that kind of stress, is is this a practice that you had cultivated before you got in the job so that you could draw on it anytime you need it? Well, I didn't do it with uh, such an overt rationale. That's not why I got into it. And maybe I could just tell you my story for just a minute here. It was New Year's Eve, 1998, going into 1999. I was a college student at the time, and I was looking for a good party. I had a couple different options. But before I decided where I was headed, which bar I was going to, I started reading a book that was on my parents' bookshelf. And it was an introduction to Buddhism. And I had, I was a philosophy major at the time, I had been asking lots of life's big questions for a long time, coming up with very unsatisfactory answers. And for whatever reason, what I read on the page spoke to me like nothing else ever had. And it wasn't the religious aspect of Buddhism. It was this simple promise that there is actually a way to get off this hamster wheel of our minds, that there was actually a way to stop constantly obsessing about the future and dwelling on the past, that there's actually a way to actually be present right here, right now, and stop causing myself so much pain by wishing things to be other than the way they were. And so this promise, this premise, 
was so alluring to me that I set out on a journey and tried to discover meditation. And I was just a college student at the time. So I uh, opened the yellow pages, looked up meditation, found the nearest Zen center in Northern California, and that was my first experience with meditation. And about a year and a half later, I traced off to India, much to my parents' chagrin. And I spent about uh, uh, the better part of a year there going on meditation retreats, living in monasteries, and really establishing a practice that I continue to draw on to this day when I'm on deadline at the New York Times. And that practice was mindfulness. It was the simple cultivation of mindfulness that began for me now 15 years ago which uh, still is of enormous utility to me throughout the day, and what ultimately led me to write this book. Mm. There's so much in that, David, that you just shared that I'd love for us to touch on. But, you know, first I'd love to hear, and I think our listeners would love to hear, you know, let's set the context for them. What is your uh, definition or from your research, what's your definition of mindfulness? Well, I defer to the experts, and a guy named John Kabat-Zinn is a molecular biologist at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. In the last three decades, really, he's done more than anyone else to establish a rigorous curriculum around mindfulness, to spread mindfulness through his teachings and writings, and really to bring it out of the shadows and into the mainstream. And John Kabat-Zinn defines mindfulness as paying attention in the present moment on purpose in a particular way and non-judgmentally. And I know that sounds like a mouthful, but if you really boil it down, it's about being right here, right now, not thinking about the future, beating yourself about, uh, up about something that just happened, not wishing things to be other than they are right now, but actually just stopping, and being right here, right now. That's, that's the long and the short of it. And David, that's such a, a wonderful definition, and I can see that, that, that each element in that definition is quite significant. And, and it's, it's different. It's, in what ways does mindfulness differ from but yet encompass what we think of as meditation? Well, it's a great question. And the truth is, mindfulness and meditation are sometimes used synonymously these days. And I'm probably guilty of that myself. And I think it speaks to the degree to which they are very interlinked and kind of codependent. But if you really want to break it down, what I'd say is meditation is a practice that helps cultivate a state of mindfulness. Mm. So the state of mindfulness that I tried to just describe, the state of being in the present moment, of being accepting of whatever's happening, one of the great and reliable ways to train ourselves to enjoy that state is through the practice of meditation. I hope that helps. Oh, that was very helpful. Uh, beautiful. Yes, meditation is a practice that helps us cultivate that state of mindfulness, and then mindfulness, as we practice it, it becomes, it, it, it seems to me, and what, what I'm, I'm, you know, surmising that you are able to draw on, David, in your work, or any time you need it, is that then you're able to draw on that ability to be mindful, even in, even in stressful times. 
It, that's absolutely right. What I also encourage people to remember is that mindfulness isn't a remedial technique. I think it's best used as preventative medicine. So here I want to stress that it's important not to oversell the benefits of mindfulness. Mindfulness is no magic bullet that's going to suddenly make all your stress go away in, in a difficult situation. Uh, so I, I just always want to remind people of that because the promise of mindfulness is really alluring, especially given the pace of our lives. Yes. Um, but, I, but, but without selling it short, I also try to remember uh, for myself personally, that it actually takes practice. I mean, there's a reason we call it practice. This isn't something that we can just flip on and suddenly uh, everything is solved and all our problems at the workplace go away. Instead, this is a kind of a discipline that we need to cultivate and hone in hopes that when those difficult situations do arise, we've done the work that will allow us to be present-minded accepting, non-reactive. Yes, exactly. Beautiful, David. So well said. And, and, uh, and so your definition, I want to just touch on a couple of pieces of it. Um, paying attention in the present moment, being present, on mm-hmm. purpose, mm-hmm. in a particular way, that's the discipline, that's the practice, and yep. then non-judgmentally. Is that the biggie? That's the biggie. You, you found it right in there. I know it's a big, it's a mouthful, but that's exactly right. I think there, it, it, the, the sequence of words there kind of get progressively more important. So on purpose means that it's not just enjoying your food. It's being aware that we're enjoying our food. So this, this component of self-awareness, of self-reflection, that's an important part of mindfulness. We recognize that we're doing something other than just kind of experiencing things like we experience so many things. I mean, sensory inputs are always flooding our bodies and our brains. But what happens when we notice that we're noticing? So that's that on purpose point. In a particular way is to say that we're not just kind of letting whatever happens to us happen. We're actually training our attention. We're doing something very specific. We're noticing, we're bringing our full attention to what is happening, and we're actually paying attention to it and noticing what it is, and even trying to identify it. And then the last one's the biggie, and non-judgmentally. So can we notice all these things that are happening to us? Can we turn our attention on, notice things in a very particular way with that self-awareness, and then here it is, when it hits us, whether it's a pleasant sensation, an unpleasant sensation, can we just notice it and let it go and move on rather than clinging to it, saying, I want more of that, saying, I want less of that. But instead, can we notice it, accept it and move on? And Mm -hmm. imagine if we were able to do that in the workday. I just, I just invite people to consider how would our experiences be different? That's so powerful, David even pausing just a moment for our audience to consider that. How would your workday be different if you could just be centered and present 
and noticing and choosing your response rather than reacting. How would your work day and, and your work in general, how would your flow of your life at work be different? You, you it, just used a word that I, I love to focus on in discussions of what does it actually mean to be mindful? How does it actually change my behavior? And you use that word reaction. And what I invite people to consider is what happens if we can respond and not react? Mm. So how do we get from response, from reaction? So often, be it in a meeting, be it in an interaction with a colleague or a boss, something happens and we're just on autopilot. We know what, the, what, what we're trained to do. And that might be to, to lash out. That might be to speak very quickly in order to try to impress someone. It might be to snap back if someone did something you didn't like. Uh, when an email comes in, when the phone rings, it might be to fire off a reply as fast as we can so we show people that we're, we're there. It might be to pick up the phone as fast as we can before we even take a moment to catch our breath. Mindfulness introduces this purposeful pause. So as we become mindful, as people practice meditation, they slow down just a tiny bit. It's not making us, uh, you know, worse at our job. It's just creating the space for a very brief moment. So something, someone says something to you, and instead of just spitting out the first answer that comes to your mind, take a moment, pause, take a moment to be mindful, and then respond. That email comes in, the first impulse is to reply as fast as we can. Again, just one purposeful pause, find the appropriate response, and then reply. And I would argue that when we just take a few more moments to you know, think before we speak, this isn't anything new, this isn't rocket science, <laughs> but just inviting these little moments of mindfulness, I think can actually undo a lot of the habitual suffering that is kind of woven through the workday. All these little struggles that we fight, I think many of them really uh, could be avoided if people just took that extra moment to consider the appropriate response instead of just lashing out with the first reaction that comes to mind. Yes, that is is actually what... what... I'm sensing, and I think our readers, I mean, our listeners will also uh, perhaps be tuning into, David, as you described that, is this could, this could be and, and may well be a source of a profound potential positive shift in our work lives, right? Because what you're talking about is pausing, that purposeful pause to choose our response, to choose an appropriate response, even, you know, the highest and best response, <laughs> to actually consider what is the highest and best response. And what we talk about here on Conscious Shift, David, will resonate, I think, with you is that, you know, choice is the mechanism of creation. We have that creative power in any moment where we do pause to connect with the creative power within us to choose something other than a reaction, to choose something even other than what already exists, to create something new, a new potential. And so that purposeful pause can be 
the pivot point on which our entire work experience can can literally shift, correct? Absolutely. And mindfulness is just one way, not the only way, to to achieve some of those changes, I believe. Yes, exactly. It it really moves from mindfulness into into that conscious choice and 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 conscious creation and co-creation as well, I think. And when you are stressed, David, for your own, it, it's very fascinating to me. You know, I can't even imagine how, you know, being on a deadline as you are most of the time. Is there, is there a way, I'm sure it's quite, there's a lot of depth to this um, and a lot of richness to your practice that comes in. But when you're on a deadline, is there a particular example or um, way that you actually kind of consciously shift to to calm yourself and to and to deal with that stress that would be helpful to others? Well, again, I, I try not to make it too remedial, uh, but that said, I'm I'm guilty of trying to find little hacks throughout my day that can help me get back to the present moment. And when it comes to actually being in the office, there's a few that I try to employ regularly. One is is simply just getting in touch with my body. I mean, mindfulness, I think, of a, you know, the mind is in the words. People think that this is something that happens all in your head. The irony, of course, is that mindfulness is a, really a full-body experience. It's what happens when we start paying more attention to what's happening in our uh, physical sensations, our thoughts, our emotions. I mean, the physical sensations are the first one and the big one. And many meditation techniques, including uh, mindfulness meditation, really place primacy on the sensations in the body. So we pay attention to our breath. We pay attention to our bodies. So when I am stressed, uh, sometimes I just get in touch with my body. And that can be with something as simple as taking a few deep breaths and noticing what that feeling is like. It can be uh, trying to feel you know, the entirety of my body and really kind of do a scan from my head to my feet. Or it can be really focusing on the sensation of my feet on the ground. What does that feel like? And what we're doing there is, again, cultivating those moments of mindfulness. In those moments when I'm noticing what it is that my body actually feels like, I'm not lost in thought. I'm experiencing something in a kind of uh, primary, undiluted, unfiltered way. And that's the training. It's that, it's that awareness that I'm trying to bring to my body in that very moment that then, in time, I try to ultimately bring to other sensations, to my own thoughts, to experiences that happen to me, to my emotions. And if I can experience the body just as a, as a primary touchstone, sometimes, when it, you know, at its best, at my most stressed, it can give me that brief moment that maybe gives me the, the bridge from a, a reaction to a response. Mm. Those are great examples, David. Thank you for that. You know, drawing that into some personal examples and some 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 simple but really powerful present techniques. You know, things that we could do in a moment: deep breathing, awareness of uh, you know, of our entire body, uh, you know, our feet on the, on the floor, that kind of thing. And, and as you have developed your practice, your mindfulness practice, David, over time, has it become 
easier for you to find that place when you're stressed? Well, listen, my job stresses me out. Getting around New York City stresses me out. I've got a one-year-old daughter. When she wakes up in the middle of the night screaming, that can stress me out. So it's not like I'm beyond stress by any measure. Uh, what I'd say is that mindfulness hopefully gives me kind of a, a baseline equanimity, a baseline sense of peace that makes those fluctuations maybe a little less volatile mm. and makes it a bit easier for me to experience that stress when it happens and it's going to happen and then move on with my day. Yeah. Beautiful. <laughs> yes. Um, I love your, your authenticity and your honesty too, David. Um, uh, and, and so, you know, the, the, one of the most wonderful things about your book, Mindful Work, How Meditation is Changing Business from the Inside Out, is that we're seeing this, this mindfulness uh, movement actually moving into the workplace, into the boardroom in companies across, you know, across the country, uh, across the globe, and companies that we would recognize, right? Like, like the ones in your book you talk about, and, and actually I've had uh, uh, Chade uh, 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 Ming Tan on the show okay. talk, talking from Google, talking about search inside yourself. But there's Google, and your book talks about, you talk about Google and General Mills and Aetna, you know, insurance and Adobe and Green, Mill, you know, Green Mountain Coffee and, you know, the Boston Red Sox to the Marines. I mean, it's, it's like all of a sudden... It seems like all of a sudden there's this tipping point um, uh, where organizations, large organizations, uh, are are seeing the benefits of this. What do you, there's so many questions around this? But what do you, in your research, what do you, what did you turn up as kind of why there's this seems to be this this shift? Well, I should hate to add, I, I'm not just making all this up. <laughs> it, it's not just <laughs> exactly. me out here. Um, I'm a reporter, and I tried to really report this book out in a very thorough way. So I spent you know, a couple of years traveling around the country and visiting any workplace I could find where people were really engaging with mindfulness and meditation in a meaningful way. And that took me from northern Vermont, uh, Green Mountain Coffee, Roasted Coffee Meetings, to Southern California, where companies like Patagonia um, have really built, you know, companies that are mindfulness-oriented through and through. Uh, and in between, I stopped at companies that, that you mentioned, Google, Aetna, General Mills, Target, the list goes on and on. And I'd say that there's a few reasons why all these companies are really embracing mindfulness today. And I think it's part of the same answer as to why mindfulness in general is becoming so popular today. It's not just businesses, of course. Schools, education, the military, sports, as you mentioned, all different walks of life are recognizing that there's potentially real value in these practices. Uh, and, and those three or four reasons that I point to are as follows. 
The first is the research. Over the last 30 or so years, thanks largely to John Kavitson, who I mentioned, and some of his colleagues, we have developed this incredible tome of data that shows kind of beyond a shadow of a doubt that mindfulness and meditation can produce lasting positive changes in our brains and bodies. It's just irrefutable at this point that when people actually do the work, they become less stressed, they become happier, they become even healthier, maybe even more productive, and maybe even a bit more compassionate or empathetic. These things are actually documented with study after study after study. So the data is there. It's harder for people just to write this off as new age hokum. The second thing I think is that broadly, certain parts of society have loosened up a bit, if you will. Um, you know, socially, our society is becoming a more progressive place. That doesn't mean that everyone's meditating or that everyone even necessarily wants to welcome this into their office. But I think it's a little less taboo, perhaps, than it once was. Mm. It's a little less stigmatized, even just in the past few years. And the third reason is, I think, as, you know, my morning, this morning evidence, we need this stuff as much as ever. Mm. With email and smartphones and Twitter and Facebook, we are constantly under siege by information. And any opportunity, any practice that can get us back to the present moment instead of kind of caught in this endless river of information and response, I think it's got to be so welcome. And I think people are recognizing that there's not only an enjoyableness to it, but, but a real need for it. Yeah, I I see all of those those reasons, you know, and when you talk about the data, uh, David, it's 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 qualitative studies after qualitative studies, but also quantitative studies and and such rich research. I um, and even since you know the the one of the most recent reports I've seen and and would love your thoughts on this is that there was a a Harvard study, recent fairly recent Harvard study that really mapped that uh, the gray matter. They've actually because of advances in uh, uh, you know, imaging and brain imaging and those kinds of things that they can actually um, prove more scientifically, number one, about what the changes are in the brain, you know, <laughs> when you're on meditation, if you will, <laughs> right? And so this Harvard study actually showed that, uh, an, you know, over just an eight-week period with 27 minutes a day of meditation that there was an increase in gray matter in the hippocampus, which is really where your self-awareness, your compassion, your introspection is. And also uh, the same thing in the cerebral cortex, which is attention and emotional integration. And that in addition to that, there was a decrease in the amygdala, uh, the, the size and, of the amygdala and activity in the amygdala, uh, which is the center of anxiety and stress. Are you familiar with that, that uh, uh, study? Well, you just referenced a ton, and, and that's exactly right. This isn't just self-reported data. Uh, and I think of a great example at Aetna, which I profiled in the New York Times recently. Yeah, all the people that took the mindfulness meditation classes reported that their stress levels went down. 
But they also took measurements. They measured heart rate variability and cortisol levels, two common measures of stress in the body. And guess what? Those went down too. So the actual, as you say, quantitative data is matching up with the qualitative data. Mm. And in the brain, you know, all different parts of the brain are responding to this. As you said, there's more gray matter in the hippocampus perhaps, but also in the prefrontal cortex, the part of our brain that's responsible for our higher order thinking, our rational thinking, our, our uh, reason, our processing. Uh, in the amygdala, as you say, there's less reactivity, and the amygdala is the part of our brain responsible for our fight-or-flight reaction, our stress responses, and the list is going on. Now, I think it's important, though, to remember that the goal of meditation isn't to have a less reactive amygdala, is it? And the goal <laughs> of meditation isn't to develop more gray matter in our prefrontal cortex. The goal of meditation is to be a bit less reactive, a bit less stress, perhaps, to be creating less suffering for ourselves and for others, to be more equanimous. And so I always try to remind people as we get so excited about, oh my gosh, the fMRIs are showing us that in fact, you know, the alpha waves are doing such and such. It's like, yeah, great, but that's not what this is really about. I think it's very useful. And, and it, it's wonderful that science is starting to sh- kind of confirm these age-old truths. But that doesn't change the fact that, uh, you know, what we're going for is something much more subtle, something much more personal. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I appreciate that, David. And and when you're talking about the data, that's, that is uh, really, it's, there's been such a boom um, in in the the number of studies that back this up and back up the ancient wisdom that's you know that's been out there for ages and uh, um, as well as as you said uh, the society uh, perhaps as these studies are reported you know being more open I think whenever something becomes more reported on and more mainstream you know Time Magazine I think about a year ago had a had a cover story the Mindful Revolution. And for that to be on the cover of Time magazine was significant. I think many of us in you know who appreciate uh, the realm of consciousness, you know, really noted that and and celebrated that. And I totally agree with you. I think everyone listening will agree with you too. We need this stuff, right? We're 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 inundated, and so we need some some really powerful uh, proven mechanisms for dealing with. Uh, this globally networked world in which we find ourselves. And we are going to explore a little bit more. We're going to take a very short break here on Conscious Shift, and we'll be right back with David Gellis. We're talking about mindful work, and we'll be right back to talk about how do you find time then for this mindfulness. This is Julianne Turner. We'll be right back on Conscious Shift. If you love the voices and visionaries shared here on Conscious Shift with Julianne Turner, from spiritual guides like Marianne Williamson, Barbara Marks Hubbard, and Don Miguel Ruiz, to creative sparks like Julia Cameron of The Artist's Way, and inspiring business gurus like Seth Godin and Daniel Pink. Then you'll love being able to grasp their wise guidance and apply their step-by-step wisdom to the new Conscious Shift Notes Action Guide series, a version of Cliff Notes for each Conscious Shift show. 
With Conscious Shift Notes, they not only give you the engaging full audio interviews from each Conscious Shift visionary and the full written transcript, but now they've also taken each Conscious Shift show interview and distilled it down to its essential essence. So you get each Conscious Shift show summarized on just a few colorful visual pages with bullet points, highlights, and key quotes so you can grasp the key points at one glance. Want to know the best news? Conscious Shift host Julianne Turner wants you to experience the inspiration of their new Conscious Shift notes absolutely free for a limited time. With her free gift of their first Conscious Shift notes, action guide, and audio series with Seth Godin, go to ConsciousShiftShow.com to receive your free gift now. In your free gift, Conscious Shift notes said, Multiple New York Times bestselling author and creative visionary Seth Godin shares in detail exactly how you can discover and profit from your own unique genius and start doing what really matters to you and to the world. Your first step is to go to ConsciousShiftShow.com right now to receive your free Conscious Shift notes, action guide, and audio, along with their Conscious Shift Show updates from their growing global community of fellow visionaries. Most important, you'll also get to see how you can access all their Conscious Shift Show wisdom in their brand new Conscious Shift Notes collections around transformational topics they've shared, like prosperity, life purpose, creativity at work, transformational leadership, and many more. In fact, their first Conscious Shift Show Notes collection on prosperity is available now and includes Marianne Williamson on Love Divine Compensation, Julia Cameron on A Prosperous Heart, Dan Pink on To Sell as Human, and Adam Grant on Give and Take, How True Leadership Starts with a Giving Mindset, and much more. Go to ConsciousShiftShow.com right now to claim your Conscious Shift Notes, Action Guide, and Audios to guide you step-by-step to make your own Conscious Shift into your true greatness today. Welcome back, everyone. This is Julianne Turner. You are listening to Conscious Shift, and today we have the pleasure of talking with David Gellis, the author of a new book called Mindful Work, How Meditation is Changing Business from the Inside Out. And just before the break, David was sharing with us that companies like Google and Green Mountain Coffee and Patagonia, uh, all the way to sports teams like the, the Red Sox, and I know the Seattle Seahawks use this kind of mindfulness practice as well, all over the world and all over the country are using uh, and building into the workplace these mindfulness practices. Now, the question I'm sure many of you have had arising in your brains, in your minds, is how do you have time for this? You know, that, that David, I would think that that would be one of the, the first questions that people may have. It's like, I, I don't even have time to you know, to, to, to go to the restroom. I don't have time to go to lunch. How am I going to find time for this in, in my workday, in my, in my life? And so, you know, what you've talked about is that this is, this is something that is a practice over time. It's not something that you just fit in and get done. So how, what are the best ways that, that you could respond to that question? If somebody says, I don't have time for this. We're all pressed for time. I could <laughs> fill my days with uh, more than I'm able to cram into them, I feel like, five times over. So it, it's a totally legitimate concern. 
It's also important to remember that this doesn't have to take a long time. No one's asking you to sit on a cushion with your legs folded for 30 minutes in total silence. This can take, you know, minutes or even even seconds if you're just checking in and recentering yourself before responding or taking an action in the workplace. Um, that said, there are increasingly kind of formalized mindfulness programs in different companies around the country. And in those instances, the employers are being largely supportive. They're saying, we reckon, just like it's important for people to go to the gym and take care of themselves and be healthy, we reckon we got to do the same thing with our minds. So if this is a way that you feel like you can take better care of your mental health, and that will allow you to be uh, you know, more present, more, more fully aware, more in sync and in the zone on the job, a lot of companies say, hey, we're going to make time for that. It's not going to be hours a day, but maybe it's 30 minutes, maybe it's even 50 minutes over a lunch break. Um, so there are those companies that are making time for it. Uh, but I, I hasten to add, I'm not advocating for a meditation room in every office in the country. I, it's just not realistic. So what I say is, listen, if there's uh, an office environment, if there's a workplace culture that would support something like this, go for it. Give it a try. But I think it's uh, irresponsible to say you must meditate. It's a really personal thing, uh, and each individual, each employer, and each kind of uh, workplace culture is going to approach this in their own way. Uh, so even if your employer isn't supporting it, if they do, great. But if not, it can be very short moments throughout the day. Short moments many times have been shown in those studies we were talking about to be just as powerful as, you know, these long-duration sits and silent retreats. Oftentimes, it's just about the short moments many times. Mm. Yes. And so there are many ways to build this into your life. And as you also mentioned, David, it's it's something that is a practice, something that you can do, you know, on your own and it and then bring that that centeredness, that reservoir, hopefully, that you've cultivated of of and that connection to be able to be able to draw on that centeredness, that calmness, that that choice, that purposeful pause. Anytime you need it in the workplace, whether or not you know, your workplace is actually doing what some of these workplaces are doing, which is building, building training into their, into their, uh, em, for their employees and also building space. Uh, like you said, some, some are building meditation rooms and yoga centers and those kinds of things into the workplace. Um, I, I wonder, you know, David, if you, if you see this too, you know, even in the time you were researching the book, that the fact that, Th- that mindfulness is becoming more mainstream and more in, uh, you know, more reported and on the cover of Time magazine and things. Does that help uh, make it easier for organizations to to say yes to to this kind of practice? You know, as opposed to you know in the past, and I think the default for for such a long time was 
hey, there's no place in time for relaxing in the workplace, right? We pay you to work. Well, that's not what we're, that's not what we're, we're not contradicting that, right? We're, we're actually saying, though, that bringing mindfulness with you in whatever way that works can boost your productivity, can boost your focus, and that's what the studies show. Absolutely, and I think of the example of Aetna, again, this company I wrote about recently. They uh, tried a small pilot study, and they said, let's see if it works. The CEO knew it worked personally, used meditation and yoga to recover from a very severe injury. So he said, I know it works personally, but let's see if it works with our employees. The chief medical officer at the company, he was not so sure. He was skeptical. So the CEO said, okay, I hear your reservations. Let's measure it. Let's measure the results. Let's see what data we get back. They started with a pilot program, just a couple hundred employees. And what they found after 10 weeks was that all the numbers moved in the right direction. Not only did people say that they enjoyed it, say they felt better, say that they were uh, you know, less stressed on the job, but in fact, they reported to be uh, less stressed. The numbers showed that they were sleeping better. The data showed that they were experiencing less pain. And the data also showed that they will be more productive on the job to the tune of 62 minutes per week. And Aetna estimates that that is worth about $3,000 per year. And then something else amazing happened, if you want to talk about those numbers. After the first full year of this program being scaled throughout the company, thousands of employees now doing it, the CEO, Mark Bertolini, he was looking at the results, the financial results for the company at the end of the year, and you notice something really extraordinary. Healthcare costs at Aetna had fallen 7.3% in the full year after they started really offering mindfulness and yoga programs to the wow. entire employee base. That was worth $9 million for Aetna, the big Fortune 100 company with 50,000 employees. So all of a sudden, there's a link between mindfulness practice, a healthier employee population, and even the bottom line. Mm. That's pretty exciting. That is powerful, isn't it? Wow. And I know that you calculated that out. It's like $2,000 per person, you know, reduction in healthcare costs. That's, that's astounding and really encouraging, isn't it? Yeah. And, and so, the, you know, these things, these... This data, these studies, these um, uh, the more and more that we see uh, quantitative and qualitative uh, data showing the benefits, it, 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 it can have a positive kind of snowball effect that maybe that's part of what we're, we're seeing, David, in, in this uh, mindfulness moving more and more into the mainstream and into the workplace, do you think? It is, and... One company starts doing it, another company begins because all of a sudden it's, again, not so stigmatized, it's out there. And in fact, in Silicon Valley, where I am today here in San Francisco, so many tech companies are employing this. And it's almost just becoming expected. Intel, Adobe, Twitter, Facebook, Google, the list goes on. Salesforce, almost every big company has created a space for those employees who do want to practice mindfulness to do so. 
Yeah, that's such a positive shift. And we know it's actually a positive shift because of the positive outcomes. And, and I want to just touch on before we, before we have to close for the day, David, that this is not something that just works at work. Mindfulness can really help you at home as well. One of the things that you found in addition to less stress, uh, and greater productivity and those kinds of, and more focus at work. You also found, uh, you know, in your research of the research that there's an increase, tend to be an increase in compassion. And so that would make a big difference at home, wouldn't it? Well, it, it's pretty remarkable that something as simple as focusing on the breath and paying more attention to your own thoughts, emotions, and sensations and cultivating that. Uh, you know, real-time, present awareness in a non-judgmental way can somehow lead you to be more empathic, more compassionate, and more socially responsible. But that, that is what seems to happen when people stick with this practice. And this, you know, perhaps reaches the edges of our scientific understanding. I have seen the studies that show that indeed Mindfulness meditation can make us more compassionate. Those studies exist. I get to see a, a truly convincing expo- explanation of, of why, of what's happening. And I think that's, that's part of kind of the beauty of this. It's part of the mystery. Because we may not understand, again, how the neurons are rearranging themselves, but we know the outcome. And we know that when practiced diligently, mindfulness can change the way we treat ourselves, becoming a bit more accepting, a little less hard on ourselves. We can change the way we work, becoming a bit more present-minded on the job, a little less reactive with our colleagues. And it can change our relationships. It can change the way we treat our friends, our family. And we can start remembering. And that's actually one of the words for mindfulness. The translation in Sanskrit is actually remembering. Mm. We can remember we can remember to take good care of other people as well. It's, it's just an amazing thing. David, thank you so much for sharing this with us today and for writing this book, Mindful Work. And would you share with our listeners where they can find the book, where they can find you, uh, anything else you've got uh, cooked up to share this, this wonderful work with the world? Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your interest. It was a really fun conversation. Uh, and please do buy this book. It's the only way I can keep bringing this message to the working world. And as I think we just discussed, we really need it. So you can buy Mindful Work on Amazon, on Barnes & Noble, or at your local bookseller. I'm easy to find at davidgellis.com. That's D-A-V-I-D-G-E-L-L-E-S. All my contact information is there. And on Twitter, I'm at at dgellis. That's D-G-E-L-L-E-S. So thank you so much for your interest, and please go pick up a copy of Mindful Work and one for your friend. Uh, Everyone listening, I'm sure, has benefited from the conversation, David, and I hope that they all will uh, buy the book Mindful Work. 
how meditation is changing business from the inside out. And again, David, thank you so much for writing this book, uh, for all you do in the world and writing for the New York Times now and shedding light on the business world for us. And uh, blessings to you and your family and all that you do. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you, David. And Julianne Turner, this is Julianne Turner. We'll be right back on Conscious Shift. Throughout time, all visionaries, sages, and thought leaders have used a pattern of thought, an archetype of creation, to think dramatically differently from everyone else. In fact, these visionaries begin with an entirely different worldview that enables them to see beyond what is to what can be. The good news is that we can adopt the same worldview, literally a different thinking system that all world changers throughout time have used, a profound and practical and profoundly different sequence of thought for the 21st century. This universal thinking system was discovered and is now revealed in a revolutionary book called Genesis of Genius. Genesis of Genius, written by Conscious Shift host Julianne Turner, is a full-color step-by-step visual guidebook to guide you to use this success system to discover and profit from sharing your own unique genius. Genesis of Genius, Julianne Turner's life work, and the foundation of her unparalleled success guiding thought leaders and emerging visionaries across the globe to make both significant income and world-changing impact is already a bestseller on Amazon and is now available to you at genesisofgenius.com. And for a limited time, you will receive $180 in special bonuses, plus an exclusive quick start guide, all available to you today when you buy your copy and register at genesisofgenius.com. This is your moment. Let this be your turning point and let Genesis of Genius be your guide on your quest. Now is the time to come awake and get out of the loop of busyness and into the leap of your true greatness. The world is awaiting your brilliance. Visit genesisofgenius.com now and step into your greatness. Welcome back, everyone. This is Julianne Turner. Just a quick note and a special gift as we close today. Most of you conscious shifters know that every day I guide visionaries and thought leaders to, you know, across the globe, just like you, to profit from sharing their signature genius and to make the impact and income they deserve and desire by serving their ideal tribe of loyal clients. And I want to make an opportunity open to you. I am opening up three opportunities, three conversation sessions personally with me for us to explore your signature genius and how you can profit from sharing it with the world. If you want to request a session, one of these three sessions, just go to geniussession.com, G-E-N-I-U-S-S-E-S-S-I-O-N.com, geniussession.com. Just request a session there. I'll be watching for you. I love to welcome in Conscious Shifters to that conversation with me. Again, this is Julianne Turner. Thank you for joining us for Conscious Shift. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to Conscious Shift with your host, Julianne Turner. 
If you're ready to make your own conscious shift to awaken the power and singular greatness already within you, Julianne is your expert coach and trusted ally, your passionate professional guide to create your highest purpose, profitability, and potential in your life, work, and world. Just go now to Julianne's website, www.creatorsguide.com, and fill in the special pop-up. You'll instantly receive free access to invaluable resources and bonuses that will guide you forward. That's www.creatorsguide.com. Just go there now and fill in the special pop-up. Now is the time to shift into your greatness. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.